With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Excuse me, Veronica. <clears throat> yes, what is it, Brick? I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party, the pants with the pants. Party with pants. Hello and welcome to the Pants Party. I am your host, Harrison Starr, a.k.a. HD underscore Star, a.k.a. Boiler Hawk. Joining me, as always, is Ben Ross, Harmon Chillabrew himself, Renboss23 on the Bird app. How are you doing, my man? You know, pretty good. Number two in your brackets, number one in your hearts. That's, 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 that's my snarky. It's not even snarky. It's my wisdom for the day. Yeah, yeah, you don't have any more wisdom after going from uh, Arizona, land of Iowa's uh, first-round opponent, to uh-huh. uh, to Chicago. And is it snowing there? I feel like you're yep. about to get to <laughs> Yep, landed in Chicago yesterday. It was like 45 <laughs> degrees, pretty nice. Was walking around in a sweatshirt and jeans to pick up a pizza for dinner. And then today it was 30 degrees and snowing, and pulled, had to pull back out my um, – Red wing snow boots, but I think it's the snow is going to already melt overnight. So I think I think fools fools spring is over. It just lasted only one day this year. Hopefully, fantastic. I, I am just getting my butt kicked by daylight savings time. I almost tweeted this out, but there was a man when I went to go get some groceries today who was taking a nap in the parking lot like in the driver's seat of his car and I'm like that you're me so like I had (laughs) I had that mindset when I go in to get groceries so like I'm dragging around and then I make the decision that when I get home I'm gonna make a little espresso and that'll that'll give me what I need uh around six o'clock so I guess two two separate points first six o'clock is probably way too late for coffee and I'm wondering where your point in the night is for too late to have coffee because I'm not feeling it much. And I know the second that my head hits the pillow, that's going to be when I start feeling it. Even if it's just the little shot of espresso. 1 PM is typically my cutoff on like a normal day, (laughs) Monday through Friday. If I know, like, especially if if I'm not going to have any alcohol or beers that night, if I'm not going to be having a late night under, you know, other circumstances, it's 1 PM, maybe two is stretching it. Uh, where I don't have try and limit my caffeine. You know, I if I really need something, I will go the route of a five hour energy. Uh, I will go the route of a Coke Zero, a diet diet soda of some sort. Or lately, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen when we get back to work. I think I've said this before on here. I nap almost every day. I, <laughs> I set my alarm. I set my alarm for, I don't have it be anywhere over 25 minutes. I set my alarm for 25 minutes and I take a nap and I'm able to 
fall asleep within three minutes of laying down typically. And I get like a good 20 minutes in and it's a breath of fresh air. Did it today. Did it almost every day in Arizona. Uh, I couldn't recommend it more. I am not a napper. That's the big problem. Like uh, Christina, she took a nap today and I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go walk the baby and one of our dogs a mile. And now that I think about that, that might be why I'm tired as much as um, uh, daylight savings time. Daylight savings time is a nice little straw man just to get angry about once a year. Because I, I don't hate the fall back. To me, the spring forward's the one that stinks. Um, but man, I, I, I don't know what's gotten into me today. I should be excited. Like, as we were talking about uh, pregame, and I am excited, but there's so much to talk about. It's my favorite time of the year. I think I said that on this podcast. Um, these four days are my favorite four days in all of sports. And I, I, I have to find the energy. So I'm hoping that that espresso kicks in a couple hours later. I'm typically agnostic on daylight savings. I'm a little bit peeved this year for a couple of reasons. One, I was just in Arizona for a month and they don't observe daylight savings. I lost two hours yesterday. Usually you only lose an hour, I lost two hours because of the travel. So it was really a six hour travel day when it should have been a four hour travel day for me. And then now Arizona is two hours behind Chicago time, central time. So I could have been working, you know, typically I, I was working eight to four in Arizona when I was there. I would have been working seven to three. I could get almost 18 holes of golfing after work every day if I was able to get off at three every day. And I, I you know, I really miss that train. I'm really upset. So I'm not going to remember that for next year. Yeah, I think that was what someone said in the comments. Maybe it was Ghost Wedge. She's like, uh, this is an easy decision, stay in Arizona. And I think I think you found the window. You just need to make sure your parents have proper uh, cable and internet uh, in the next home that, that they rent or maybe live in. So that that's probably the one thing that kept you uh, drawn to Chicago and solitary life. Yeah, my parents are TV snobs. My mom's the type of person where if like there was a one a movie she wanted to watch on one like let's say Paramount, the most obscure freaking <laughs> streaming service, but if like Oprah or her sister said there's a show on Paramount TV that you had to watch, my mom would buy it. And then they they're the type of people they don't cancel subscriptions to anything because they're over the age of sixty. So when like back in Minneapolis, my parents' place, they have every single streaming service and TV channel you could possibly think of. <laughs> Uh, th- yeah, that sounds about right. I think we still need to cancel Sundance after Christina got into like a documentary kick earlier in the pandemic. It was what a world, what a world. St- still paying for that, but I, it's five bucks a month. We're not we're not buying alcohol at at uh, restaurants at the same pace that we used to, but we are also paying thirty five dollars a pop with everything of formula that we're getting. So that's Win some, lose some, I guess, with children. I'm not, I'm making a habit of not commenting on your parenting woes because I have no legs to stand on. Uh, I know, I know. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's what life is for, for me right now, I guess. Um, I, I think we should just get into it. First, we have your bit with... Um, Busy day. Yeah, I mean, it was a huge day. So I think let's let's talk about the news stuff, and then we can really dive into the brackets and our takes. Um, but the first one is your offensive line update. 
uh, George Barnett, guy previously at uh, Miami of Ohio since 2016. Before that, he was at Illinois State. Um, offensive line coaching positions there. He was elevated to offensive line coach slash run, run game coordinator slash offensive coordinator at Miami for since 2016. Uh, at Illinois State, he was – Offensive coordinator, I think his final year there in 2013, it looks like. Um, and he had, had been hired at Tulane back in December of this offseason, and Iowa went and poached him, uh, similar to another guy who Iowa had their sights on, right? Who What's the guy? Blazik? Is that him? Yeah, but I mean, that would have been that would yeah. have been the double. Exactly. <laughs> that would have sure been, been, been triple dipping uh, for Blazik. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, Poach Barnett, exciting, whatever. I'm fine with it. You know, Midwest recruiting ties. I always kind of think the offensive line coach kind of, you know, work is kind of cut out for him uh, at Iowa because you're able to get, pro- you know, typically the best in-state talent. And then since, you know, nobody good goes to Minnesota, from Minnesota, you, you can get them. Uh, that I, mean, I can't name a single offensive lineman that I was gotten from the state of Minnesota now off the top of my head. So that's a dumb comparison. Um, anyway, I'm more excited about the running backs higher in the Dell bets. I said in the recap that running backs coaching, uh, higher former Iowa Hawkeye running back with Betts played for Hayden Fry and Kirk Ferentz. Um, I said in the comments or I said in my write up that I've always wanted Iowa to have sort of a razzle dazzle alumnus on the staff and the Dell bets scratches that itch, scratches that itch. He's never been a college coach, but he's been, uh, coaching in the high school ranks in, Fort, uh, in the topper upper t- echelons of Florida high school football, which, you know, I think you can com- probably compare to Texas at this point in terms of talent and everything like that. Um, it's been in those ranks since 2016, been the head coach at Pinecrest High School since 2018. He was an offensive coordinator there for the two years prior to that. Um, you know, hopefully create some sort of a pipeline to the speed state. For the Hawkeyes, and then again, he'll be able to tout all of his accolades to when he's in the homes of recruits too. So I'm really glad. Uh, I think Iowa really hit a home run uh, with both these hires. Yeah, I I think the the thing about um, Wallace, right, the the offensive line coach, is I, I suppose the scuttlebutt was Iowa had their sights set on the the guy from Northern Illinois slash Temple. Um, but Wallace was just so good in the interviews that, um, they had to go with him. So to me, that, that's very exciting to hear. Liddell Betts, I think I have maybe the only Zag opinion, although I think it's something I believe about 10%. Um, I think it's just crazy that Iowa now has, um, four Ference era players now on staff. And we've used the term before regarding Iowa sports being a little incestuous. And I know that's a weird word, but it's just funny to, to go back to the well. Um, but if you're going to go back to the well, it's got to be with the Dell Betts. For, for my money, I think he put up as good a career as any Iowa Hawkeye um, running back in the Ference era um, behind some truly bad offensive lines. So like you see four, four and a half yards of carry and it's all him. It's like David Montgomery at those Iowa State years. Um, and he had a pretty long NFL career. Um, so hopefully some of that magic can wear off 
uh, as Iowa tries to, as as you mentioned, uh, both in recruiting and development. I think maybe we we uh, talk down about the running back position when dis- running back coach position when discussing it, Foster's departure. But I I think that there does need to be a little lift there, and I think Foster did it um, with the talent he brought in, and hopefully Liddell Betts can continue that. And um, you know, it'd be great to to watch someone from the black and gold carry the ball 15, 20 times on a Sunday again, because it's been a while. So those of those four, your parents, Eric, parents, Eric coaches, you mentioned, I mean, one's his son. Yes. So let's say that then LeVar Woods bats. Who's the fourth? Kelvin Bell. Really? Wait, yeah. Really? Uh, 2000 to 2004, I believe it was. Cause he was someone that, I, he, he just, yeah, you're right. Okay. He, he went a different he got direction. Hurt right? early, he got hurt early on. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's what it is. Like, I, I think Ference, you know, he, he has what he wanted, right? I think he said it's kind of a, a three-legged stool in terms of culture, fit and football acumen. And um, with the two, the two assistant coaches, it's really, I mean, that's what you want. Uh, Ference had, uh, some zaggers on his staff earlier. Um, ho- hopefully, you know, that they feel comfortable uh, raising concerns when there are concerns. I think that's maybe the the um, potential downside of hiring uh, the way I was hired in the past. But, you know, the, the cachet that Betts has, I think, and, um, you know, just the ability it sounds like Wallace has. I- I'm very optimistic. And I think that the other thing about the Betts one is, him being a, a past high school head coach, I I hope it shows that like Ference is starting to think a little more legacy um, in terms of where Fry was when he hired uh, Kirk Ference, right? Um, Fry famously had like six or seven future really good uh, college coaches on his um, early staffs at Iowa. And hopefully that's kind of where Ference is trying to go in terms of um, developing coaching talent, because I think that's uh, maybe the one, well, two, one of two big uh, complaints that people probably have about uh, his time at Iowa. Yeah. And I think it's important too. He's been around. I mean, Betts now has been around younger kids too. And you saw the reckoning that happened in the Iowa locker room this past summer. And he'll be able to, I think, speak in a way to these uh, Iowa staff about what's about what what's important to these kids uh, and their pro- how the priorities have changed. It, it, it'll bring some new blood onto the into the recruiting trail. Hopefully, his voice will be one that's his opinion will be one that's taken into account uh, when <clears throat> the staff is making you know decisions for how they want to construct the identity of their team in the locker room. And I, I think, you know, that that's something also uh, that's reassuring to me as well. Agreed. Agreed. Sorry, I, I got a little bit distracted because I'm catching up on Twitter and realized that Steve Prom has officially been dismissed as I know, I wrote that down, coach. man, as we get to that. Oh, whoops. Not whoops. the only prom that's going to get canceled this year. Got him. Oh, wow. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. That that's tremendous. That's tremendous. Yeah. I, I apologize for stepping on on uh, your toes there. Maybe this is another way that I'm about to step on your toes 
in the completely opposite direction. Iowa basketball did what with their head coach today? Fran Stenchen um, through 2029? 20, 28. I, I think I, I had that up. Uh, yep, 27-28 season. Fran will. Fran is currently 61, so locks him up till he's 68 or 69. Nice. Um, guaranteed money income over the next seven seasons is 23.4 million. The buyout is 60% of his contract uh, of that year, where he's bought out. And if he were to leave, uh, depending on whenever he leaves, he would owe the school between half a million dollars, one million dollars. Uh, that's for the first three years, and then after four years, he owes a team, he owes Iowa half a million dollars. But I don't think that's happening. Um, Fran's basically locked up. It seems like at Iowa until the end of his career. I don't unless something weird happens. Um, I don't see him leaving a school, going be going on and being a coach somewhere else at age seventy. If um, if his time ends at the end of this contract, um, I mean, I, I've got some opinions. You want to go first, or do you have anything else to add that I didn't cover? I think the most interesting bit of math is that his youngest son, Jack, is a 2025 recruit. So that would mean yep. um, 2025, 26, 27, 28. That would mean, ostensibly, uh, he's locked up through being able to coach Jack as an Iowa Hawkeye. And I, I I think the early indications are maybe this son might be the best of the bunch. And honestly, if it's mm-hmm. anything like Jordan Bohannon versus his three older brothers, I'm excited for 2025, even though uh, there's no reason to be. I mean, is there even a position locked up for Jack? Like, he's in eighth grade. <laughs> so, I, I, I mean, he's like a six-seven ball handler. I think. Like, I mean, it's insane. Already, gosh, that's so yeah. Annoying. Um, <laughs> I mean, so here's, I mean, great, good for him. I hope he is the best McCaffrey. Um, as of now, right now, it's not saying much. Anyway, uh, <laughs> sorry, yeah, whatever. I mean, I don't, I don't totally mean that, but we kind of do. Um, <laughs> basically. <laughs> Blue guys. Say, say it again. Oh, uh, they're blue just guys. blue guys. Blue was... guys, yeah, yeah, yeah. Every team needs them. Um, you know, picking fights with the media on Twitter after games. Anyway, uh, oh boy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, I, I think you know. I think it's great. You know, I'm I like Fran as much as anybody possibly can. I've always liked him. I've when I'm when he's, I guess like. I'll try and compare it to when Kirk Ferentz makes bad coaching decisions or the Iowa football team at large does, I get mad. When Fran makes bad decisions, I get sad. And I think, you know, people agree with me on that. Like I, which is to say, you know, not that I don't, you know, not that um, I'm not cheering for Kirk or cheering for Fran in different ways. It's just that I, I connect emotionally with, the, the the two guys differently because that, that's just sort of how they are. That's how their personalities are. And, um, you know, I, I also think, you know, my times as a reporter on the beat for both programs was, you know, like night and day, two to- totally different things. So I have sort of different experiences and expectations and hold the two, two guys that I was two of, I was top three sports programs to different standards slightly. Is that, 
fair? Yeah, I think it is, honestly. <laughs> um, looking back now, I think this was announced. France signed this contract extension the day we beat Wisconsin in the Big Ten tournament um, last week. And, you know, it's a week. So we got this, you know, the press release today getting out of a getting out Iowa getting out and ahead of it because, you know, Scott Docterman uncovered Bart, Gary Barter's dirty laundry when they when they got the first when they first did the cloak and dagger uh, extension at the end of was it 20 that disastrous 2017 season, right? Or was it? Tw- yeah, it's 2017, I believe. It, yeah, it was the beginning of the 2017, 2018 okay. season like they had like I think the ink wasn't even dry. And they got their butts kicked at Virginia Tech. That must be it. Yeah, it was a pretty slow start. Um, yeah, yeah, I remember that. That very slow. That very slow start. And Doctorman was like, "Well, I, we haven't heard about this in a while, so we just foiled the school and found out that Fran had just signed a huge extension." Um, I think it's you know slightly premature, based on this is. The, the without a doubt the biggest moment of Fran's career at Iowa is right now happening right now. Um, not, you know, if you think about, I was going to have mud egg all over its face, all over its face, but lose it to Grand Canyon on Saturday, which I don't think will happen. It's going to look slightly worse, uh, if they lose a second round game to whoever that's going to be. And then if I'm like the sweet 16, it's great. Elite eight, brilliant move by Barta. So it's kind of, but like, no matter what, it's not like Fran is going to be gone this year. And this is why I think it was a little bit premature because having Connor McCaffrey on the team having Patrick McCaffrey on the team kind of sort of anchors him having Pat on the team kind of sort of anchors him to Iowa city for three more years. Right. Like, well, I, think, or what? I, I mean, I think there's a case that I don't think the decision was premature by any stretch of the imagination. I actually think the announcement was premature. If that makes sense. Like I obviously, you know, but you they, just couldn't kinda... get, they couldn't get caught keeping it secret again two two years two times in a row we just couldn't. yeah yeah and i mean all of the the egg on the face about the devin marble upheaval i mean barda's barda's picked the lesser of two evils with with this decision because yeah i mean i was gonna look silly if something bad happens but um they're also coming off their best regular season in uh 35 years so mm-hmm. it, it's it's this it's is where th- this is where like we get into that weird space where oh now all of a sudden are we emotionally hedging and like oh that was a great regular season anything here is gravy no uh, I still think that the bar for success is I I think we've agreed since you know Iowa had their four and five game slide where they lost those games Sweet Sixteen is still very much on the table and Iowa Iowa put themselves in. Uh, as good a position as they could have um, with a two seed. And to me, the only way that they would be a one seed versus a two seed probably is if they had beaten Illinois twice and swept them. And, you know, I just don't think that that was in the cards for this Iowa team, unfortunately. Sorry, I couldn't find on mute. Um, and here's the other thing, too. I mean, yeah, I agree with everything you said. And let's look at what Fran's going to be making these uh, 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 these next few years. He's going to be making $2.9 million, $3 million, $3.3 million, and that goes up $100,000. So 
from 3.3 million through to 3.7 million, 3.3 in 2023, 3.7 in 2027. Um, that's kind of good, you know. I think you know fair comparison to Matt Painter. Matt Painter has been make, he's making 3.2 million this year, and his extension actually and his contract actually runs out in 2023. I haven't seen that resigned yet, but it's kind of a short leash. Brad Underwood, you know, he's making. He's due to make four million uh, next year. He's he made three point four million this year. I kind of think we're you know getting Fran at a good price. Uh, not to say, and I think that's you know it's fair too. Like he, he's worth it. We're not overpaying. The terms of a buyout are kind of fair. Again, I don't think we'll be using it. I, I fully expect Fran. To, <laughs> I fo- I mean seriously, I fully expect yeah. expect Fran to retire as a Hawkeye and. You know, it's I'm fine. Like I think, you know, I haven't seen anybody get mad about it other than Chris Hassel. Um, Wait, what? Anything like? No, he no. didn't. No, he didn't. But <laughs> I mean, oh, it's yeah. coming. It's yeah, I you know it's coming. It's you know it's coming. Um, and maybe he has, and I haven't looked. Uh, so I guess you know it's fine. It is what it is. Like would I have loved to rather have seen this at the end of this year? When I was, you know, holding the Final Four banner, great. Yes, of course. But, you know, it's just the cost of doing business these days. And it's like, I would have been, I would have been more upset if I heard rumors that Minnesota was courting him, or it wouldn't be Minnesota. Let's say like Arkansas. No, not even Arkansas. I don't know what where where we're trying to go. It'd probably be like Seton Hall or some other, you know, smaller but big school at the same time. Yeah, I, I mean, to me, the DePaul, the, the, DePaul. Let's say it'd be DePaul. Oh boy, oh boy. Uh, the the one I always thought because because I think you raise a good point that um, part of this is to get ahead of hey he's our guy going into um, this cycle, right? Uh, to me that that's a a big deal because you never know with some of these big time jobs like IU. Obviously, there are heads in the clouds in terms of. Um, coaches that they would like to be in Bloomington. Well, you go down the list and, you know, if their guys don't want to be there, how long do you have to get down to get to Fran? Theoretically, like, I think that that's kind of um, part of it that does factor into the calculus of releasing it early is, you know, claiming him for the next eight years. From a money standpoint, uh, I think, yeah, to me, the dollar figures are fair, especially when you look at Underwood. Um, I, I think he was a hot commodity when he went to Illinois. And to me, the, the, the numbers you rattled off, Matt Painter might be the most under underpaid coach in the country. <laughs> Three point two million yeah. for that man is is uh not that much um, because it's, what it's he Purdue. does every year, yeah, it's Purdue, and like it doesn't. I think. Uh, I was reading off of those numbers off of Chad Lesnickel's article, and it says that contra- like it doesn't include like shoe deals and endorsements and other things that friends will be getting. And like I don't, I'm not in the Iowa City area. Like I'm assuming there's got to be high V commercials with Fran McCaffrey, right? You know things like that, car dealership commercials. I'm assuming he's getting, you know, he's getting paid on the side pretty sweetly too, right? Well, there's always the like he gets paid for his. Radio show stuff. Speaking appearances was another part of it. Yeah, Um, yeah. I mean, I I I think that's probably all the same everywhere, um, more or less. But yeah, I mean the 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 three is the base, and 
totally fair number, to- totally fair. Uh, because, I, like I said, it was Iowa's best regular season in a generation. And now it's, in my opinion, time to go out and prove why it was the best regular season in a generation for the, the Iowa Hawkeyes. It's just, I mean, it's the cost of doing business, really, you know. I totally fine. No, I don't think anybody's getting their panties in a bunch over it. Um, well, I think I think the thing that Barta does in terms of hiring coaches and sticking with his coaches is, and maybe this is the one good thing he does, and there are downsides to it, of course, but he doesn't pay two coaches at once. And you look at a lot of these programs – have to cycle through or dial up Mark Cuban if you're Indiana um, to to pay a coach to go away. And the fact that Iowa hasn't had to pay a coach to go away except for Tracy Griesbaum and uh, I mean that's that's a pretty big buyout for a field hockey coach. Yeah. Um, but and it wasn't a buyout <laughs> to be clear. Nope. Um, nope. So I think ultimately. Um, Iowa saves money by not having the downturns. And I think there are um, probably interesting comparisons we can get to in terms of how similar Fran and Kirk are in terms of how they develop teams, develop players, keep them around, and uh, have a high floor when you think about it. Like Iowa as a state is improving from a high school um, basketball standpoint, but – not not fertile recruiting grounds, and he's found some really good players for Iowa here and made them Big Ten players. There are hit, hits and misses, of course, but you look at the the two most notable in Iowa starting lineup, Jordan Bohannon, second place, all-time Big Ten threes, Joe Wieskamp, as good a small forward shooting guard as Iowa's had since... Peter Jock, to be fair, but, um, you know, Peter Jock was an undervalued Iowa kid as well. And the, the, the ability to really put borders on the state, high-level talent excluding, um, maybe that's kind of the next step. But, you know, I, I don't think Iowa would be better with Xavier Foster this year because he's probably a, a true backup five. Um, but... I love having Keegan Murray. <laughs> I, I liked having Josh Agundale that one play. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I could not feel better about the decision to, to extend him, uh, especially when you see everything else going on, going on on this Black Monday. I mean, yeah. So I think it's worth mentioning, you know, at this time, you, you said Steve Prom's gone. Archie Miller's gone from Indiana. That happened today too. And Richard Pitino's gone. Um, you know, not Minnesota's whatever, but like, you know, Iowa basketball is undoubtedly in a better place than Indiana, even though what's Archie Miller's record against Fran? I don't I don't want to know that. Uh, um, <laughs> too good. Or, or even even Pitino, even Patino's probably. Uh, actually, I don't know. Other than this is the only time I can remember him beating Fran. Um I mean, just be glad. Like, I, I guess you know, be happy that we're in a position where we're confident um, in our coach. You know, there it's 
like realistically, who who could I would get that's better uh, than Fran? I think he set a high bar, like you said, best season in 30 years. Let's just go and do something with it. But I mean, we've seen we've seen the darker the other side of this coin and uh, you know it'd be having a story program like indiana is no guarantee of success and i was probably you know maybe is somewhere in between minnesota and indiana i guess in terms of that history um but you know it, it keep having friends to go around longer keeps us from becoming falling into the trap like indiana is when because we already had we already dug out of that hole thanks to one guy yeah, I mean, the same could be said for Indiana, but they sent him packing for the guy they just now sent packing. On to the bracket, I think. <laughs> I know. Even I don't think I don't think Georgia made it to the turn. The Georgia started off really hot, and then I don't think they made it to the tourney, right? Under Kareem. No, I mean that's the thing that cracks me up about this is like you look at everyone that was affected by that original Tom Crean firing, and is anyone better off? Like Archie Miller left Dayton, and Dayton put together their best season in ever uh, last year. They created like an NBA pipeline, not out of thin air, but uh, you know, to, to be able to do what they did. Uh, so I guess Anthony Grant and Dayton were the two big winners of um, Tom Crean getting fired. <laughs> that, that's something that just cracked me up. Like, uh, so, like, who does Indiana go for now? I honestly don't want to spend too much time on Neither it. Do I. I, we'll do it later. I'm bored. Oh so, yeah, it, unless unless they hire someone b- before. I, I think Beeline's probably the best, the the most interesting. I would I would be concerned about and Patino, uh, Rick Patino. I, I think if you're if you're shooting to if you're shoot he's the he's the guy who would scare me the most um, that they could hire. But would they do that? I would, I would absolutely love and hate it at the same time. He's younger than I thought at sixty-eight, but still not ideal. Yeah, so we'll see. I mean, th- th- I mean, that's the thing about Beeline and Patino. Both of those guys are old. But how many? It, it's weird. Like you look, and I'm sure there are a ton of good coaches, but maybe Beard and, and Scott Drew are the guys that they're thinking about, but those guys have pretty cush jobs, to be honest. Like they, they've done kind of the same thing that Fran's done in terms of build their program out of various states of a crater and have carte blanche. And they also have, you know, the cover of being basketball schools or basketball coaches at ostensibly football schools because you know you're in texas yeah i don't know man i've never heard a good thing anyone say a good thing about the sit lubbock though but i guess like if Pierre's able just to operate on an island as opposed to indiana where he's not gonna be on an island the fishbowl yeah um then i could see how that'd be a turn off and see what chris Pierce. so on to the bracket. I think. Do do we want to start with Iowa first and circle around it? Oh wait, what? Chris Beard's making four point six million a year. Yeah, he's gonna. He's it's gonna. It's gonna be a lot to pry him away from Texas Tech. Like I oh think. Oh my he god! Used, I had no idea. 
He used um, one of the big jobs. I think he used Arkansas against Texas Tech last year or two years ago. Oh, my goodness. I had, Good for him. All right. You go. You go, Chris Beard. <laughs> that is a lot of money. That, that makes Brad Underwood look underpaid. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Okay. You get on with the chlorophyll. <laughs> on with the chlorophyll. All right, so looking at Iowa Grand Canyon, and as usual, you and I are on the same wavelength with our names. I have Grand Canyon, you have Grand Franyon. Um, mm-hmm. Two pretty good puns. I, I'm, I'm not normally good at puns, but I, I was happy with that one. Um, I am in the middle of doing some research on this team, and this is just classic Iowa fans to overreact to something that's very unique in a team like Grand Canyon, a, a 15 seed, to have a 6'11 guy who can shoot threes and a 7-footer who can get buckets. And there is fair reason to be concerned. But ultimately, like I look at the end of the day, the teams that they played, the teams that they lost to, um, you know, like I was made work of teams in that tier, be it like Northwestern, Nebraska, Iowa State being even worse than Grand Canyon. And I think that ultimately what this is going to come down to is a zag in terms of, oh, does the style of play now hamper Garza in terms of defense and getting caught with maybe screens? and potentially foul trouble. Because that would be the thing I I think about as a worst-case scenario is you look to uh, that Iowa State game. It was Iowa led for most of the first half, but couldn't really get any distance without Garza. Um, foul trouble with Garza is probably going to be the number one stat, in my opinion, when I think about what Iowa's going to look like. Because I, I liked what... Agundale did for that minute, but if he has to do three to four minutes of that in, in real time, because he does have the size that Keegan Murray doesn't to battle with, um, let me make sure I at least almost get his name right, um, Asbjorn Mitgard, um, that, that, that's a big guy. So I, I think that um, foul trouble with Garza is going to be the number one thing to watch, because this guy can... Fill it up around the rim. I mean, so it's him. I mean, the the starting lineup overall for Grand Canyon, it's pretty tall. Um, over like what? Don't they start two guys six ten and over? Um, yep. And you know, thank thankfully, it's just like we're talking about Grand Canyon here. Like what, what? 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 can you say? You know, it's the only for for profit school in, in the um, <laughs> in the NCAA. Um, you know, their point guard goes by Mikey. Uh, what else do you want? Like uh, their other point guard, their other guard is 155 pounds. Like, you know, they they lost to. Portland State, right? Just you know, ridiculous schools. Um, California Baptist, uh, Utah Valley. You know, these are teams they've lost to. Um, the 
it's just only there's so much nitpicking you can do and i'm gonna you know just steal a quote from you i think you said last year two years ago even on football it's like it's not about the x's and o's it's about the jimmies and joes <laughs> and we got joe Wees camp and they don't joe Tucson. and a joe Tucson. you're right damn it <laughs> No, I mean, I, I think I think it's definitely intriguing if you're parachuting into this and you're trying to find, oh, is there a 15 seed that can beat a 2 seed? And when I look at every single 15 seed and 2 seed, yes, there there's a chance that that could happen. But ultimately, there is a reason that Iowa is a 91% you know, chance, according to Ken Palm. And it's because... They can fill it up even after going ice cold in uh, the Big Ten tournament. They are still a top 15 three-point shooting team. They are still the best team in the nation at not turning the ball over. They do not foul guys, um, which is their biggest strength as a defense. So I do think three points will be hard to come by. And then you look at Grand Canyon, and I'm just kind of going through Ken Palm because this is this is how I research. And you look at their deep, their offense, high turnover unit, um, probably means a little more volatility in terms of well, if they're not turning it over, they can certainly fill it up both by their their shooting percentage and they hit the boards. Um, and like Iowa is a top 15 team shooting it from three. They're a top 15 team shooting it from two. So I, I can see maybe they have a guy get hot. Uh, Alessandro, uh, let me, Lever um, from Italy. I think he's going to be interesting to watch. Yes, yes. Christina hates when I do the Alessandro. Um, <laughs> ben did the hand thing and got me distracted. Uh, but I, I think this could be a fun game um, for a number of different reasons, but I was the two seed for a reason. And I think Fran has these guys with the right mindset, having been in that world, having coached three teams um, to the NCAA tournament that had to get there with, with conference tournament wins. He knows that they will be hungry and he's letting them know. He said on one podcast, uh, I don't believe in upsets in this tournament. Um, and I think he's going to have Iowa have that mindset. And I think that that's a mindset that works in both directions. Like, I think that's part of what helped them come back against Tennessee is like, hey, everyone's got a shot here. And um, if Iowa if Iowa shoots like they can, they're not playing in Lucas Oil Stadium. That was something that I was happy to see in this game. So being able to play, even if it's in, I think the smallest arena available um, for IUPUI. I think playing in a in a basketball arena is going to do this team some good. And I'm 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 generally optimistic outside of the fact that well, what what does it look like if Luca Garza has two early fouls? Um, but other than that, the same question can be said: What happens if he gets their guys into foul trouble? So. That that's ultimately a very easy counter to to my question. Wait, and what was your question? What happens if Luca Garza gets in two foul gets two fouls? That's yeah. your question. I mean, yeah. the the answer is you know Keegan Murray. <laughs> 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 I 
even well, though, that, like, and that poses its own sets of problems for for Grand Canyon. Keegan Murray as a yeah. guy who can take it off the dribble, he can finish it, he can defend the rim, uh, primarily as like a uh, a weak side blocker. Do you, do you think Iowa throws out the zone? Because I think we might see some of that if they're not shooting very well. I mean, honestly, no. Have they, they've been going? Have you have you done the the breakdown? What's been their zone demand breakdown these past few games? Because I feel like it's been pretty strong, man. And the defense is. Yeah, it's been heavily man still, but there was a, a time against uh, Illinois where they did throw a little bit of a zone just because Coburn was destroying them. Yeah. Um, and, like, when they've been going, man, the past, you know, six or seven games, the Ken Palm, they've jumped, like, 20 spots, right? So, not yeah, I mean, the, yeah, the improvement I always had by going to man, they were in, like, the 120 range um, out of 340 or whatever, and now they're 50th. So, I mean, I think that – Okay, 70 a lot spots. Of, Excuse me. Yeah, yeah. so they, they – They've turned it around more or less defensively, and I think that um, John Miller had it of Hawkeye Podcast said they're one of a handful of teams playing like a top 10 offense and top 10 defense over the last, since that switch was made. Now that's an arbitrary figure that benefits Iowa and pretty much nobody else, but it's a fair one to make because that was, you know, when Iowa became ostensibly the defensive team that we've seen. So listen to our competitors now. Thanks. No, it was on Twitter. It was on okay. Twitter. <laughs> so you're reading our competitors' tweets now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so I guess that's Iowa Grand Canyon. And for that, I am... Move them through. Move them through. Now, I, I, I don't want to go, like, bracket by bracket, but no. is there is there any games that immediately stick out to you as we just kind of look at what... What are you going to be focusing in on for Friday and Saturday of the tournament? There aren't any, like, there's not, honestly, I haven't spent, I'm filling out my bracket tomorrow night uh, is when I'm doing my whole thing. There isn't any game, single game, uh, I've penciled, circled uh, for the weekend. There's sort of two storylines. And I think one's contradictory now. I'll start with it. I think Virginia. Sneaky has a cakewalk to, I mean, obviously they're going to play Gonzaga the third game, play, play Ohio and then Creighton, which I think is kind of a team that went into the March ass backwards or ass first rather. And then they present a matchup for Gonzaga that Gonzaga hasn't really seen this year with, and that Virginia plays a style of basketball that is not fun for anybody. Uh, whereas, you know, they're going to, I think Virginia, could really muck things up against Gonzaga and you know, people are, you know, they're the number one overall seed and Virginia is a team that won it all um, just a couple years ago, but uh, you know, two years ago is um, so that's going to be something to, to keep an eye on. And then obviously if Iowa were to advance, they'd, they'd eventually see Virginia both in the, in the West bracket. Uh, other thing is putting home state, darling Loyola, against home state <laughs> villain Illinois uh, for second week a second game of the week if Illinois can get over Drexel and Boyle can get over Georgia Tech who also I mean is getting you know another darling because their coach wears a different kind of face shield than other coaches which I think is a very stupid storyline to get attached to uh, and he also the I 
the welder and he also has like a voicemail that they played a bunch i can't remember the guy's name but he's like 41 and he wears a welder's mask great good for him um and loyola you know they they were they were sweet 16 elite eight darlings just a couple years ago too and um I guess Porter Moser is another guy who could we could see um, getting pegged for these open Big Ten jobs or open Iowa State job too. Uh, I don't I don't know why what he's done there is pretty incredible, and uh, it's just tough draw for Illinois. But I don't care. And then Illinois is going to have to you know take on a really really good Oklahoma State team that was kind of not just a week ago uh, a two C consideration right so. Um, Illinois kind of, you know, I'm glad that they have a really tough bracket because they can get fisted. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing that I, because I was just kind of looking at it and, and, and trying to determine, well, who's got, what one seeds would I not want to be? And I actually kind of think, and this is just the nature of the 8-9 game, right, being, well, it's the guarantee the lowest seed that it can be if if there's chalk everywhere else. But there's also the case that, hey, this could be the best team that advances that isn't you. Um, so I'm, I'm fascinated to see what Baylor does with whomever they get, whether it's North Carolina or Wisconsin, because those teams are, God, that game's going to be not fun to watch um, unless UNC is able to dictate the tempo like, like I hope they can. I think Purdue is and this is an album honor plug, right? Um, Purdue is sneakily got a chance to advance very far um, because they have the offense, they have the defense, they have a guy in Zach Eady that I I genuinely don't know how you defend for even if he plays for 15 minutes a game. He's impossible for some of these teams to guard. Um, and then... For, for me, the one that always cracks me up is being an Arkansas resident. Hashtag WPS. Uh, that's a fascinating one to me, too, because I think, um, and I guess I stuck it all with, with the South bracket, but I'm fascinated to see how Arkansas does because they remind me of a version of Oklahoma State in terms of having a elite lead guard in Moses Moody now he's a little bigger than uh, Cade Cunningham, and he doesn't have nearly kind of the assist numbers that Cunningham does. But he is someone that can absolutely fill it up, and that's my favorite thing about these games: is who, who's who become the guys in this first weekend. And to me, Moses Moody is someone that I can very easily see um, being a guy that everyone's like, oh, look at this kid. Um, because he does kind of have those NBA credentials and must. He he builds his teams every year. So he's built them around Moody, and they're they're a fascinating team for me. And, and yeah, like the, the Illinois thing cracks me up. I, I would not if – if you could give me Iowa's two-seed draw and Illinois's one-seed draw, I would take Iowa's two-seed draw hands down. And I even think about that about um, – most of the other ones, I wouldn't want to face UConn. Um, you know, a guy like Book Knight. So it's it's it, like I said, there, there's there's a lot a lot going through my mind, but really trying to find where are the guys that can carry teams. And I, I think um, 
you know, those are those are a couple ones for, for me. And that's the thing about Purdue too, is like I I said two or three podcasts ago, it's like they're of quiet like they were the quietest number four seed in the Big Ten tournament ever. Quietest double by team. Like they did, you know, super lucky I would face them when they did because it'd be a much tougher game if they were to play them today. Just sort of Matt Painter did the Tom Izzo type of deal, right? Where it started off really slow and then just came on so hot, but because they're Purdue and Matt Painter's not getting paid anything. Nobody heard about it. Um, <laughs> what was the hashtag you just shouted out? Oh, WPS. Woo Pig Suey. Call the oh, hogs. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. So uh, th- those are a, a few different teams. I, the, the one that also fascinates me is looking at Michigan State. Slides in by the seat of their pants. I know. Arguably, Maryland, too. Oh, Maryland was fine. They but, didn't slide yeah. in, but they're another intrigue. They're a 10 seed, right? Yeah, they're a 10 seed, and I think um, holes have been poked into Maryland on our side. I think it was Sir Nicholas who was like, you just look at how they rack up these wins, and they're against not good teams. And then they played a couple better teams, and Penn State beat them, and I think Northwestern even got them. Um, and then they turned it around and, you know delightfully beat beat Michigan State uh but yeah I mean Michigan State I think I said on the podcast the Big Ten just did wonders to their on-the-fly scheduling in a way that you could not have drawn up better like of course Michigan's not going to sweep Michigan State after uh you know uh clinching the uh conference on win percentage on Thursday and then having to play them at uh, Breslin Center on, on Sunday. There's no way Michigan's going to win that game. So, you know, it, it's uh, a year after after beating the Big Ten's drum all year, I am horrified that it's just going to be a stack of cards that was built on itself where you had these really good teams playing each other, building up their analytical resumes. And the case in point for that, as I said, is Wisconsin. Are they really a top 10 team? The analytics like them as one. Um, but how how far do you index into that when you kind of look and a very good Iowa team was able to beat them three times? A very good Iowa team was able to beat Like, I, I love Iowa, but if you're a good team, you don't get beat three times by Iowa. And you don't let Penn State go on a 17-2 run in an elimination game. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that, that's... So I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to see how, how some of this stuff shakes out, as I always am. But um, I, I guess wh- where do you want to turn our direction too, as we uh, wind down here. Um, I don't, you know, know what else there is, I guess. Do, I mean, do we want to talk more, like, you know, pre- predict more, I guess. So Oregon, you know, Iowa beat us recently. It's two years ago and they had Bull Bull, right? Um, yeah. VCU, I don't know a goddamn thing about. <laughs> and then, you know, not to count, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure I'm comfortable even, you know, doing – 
the, all right, then we got USC or Kansas probably um, in the Sweet 16. I, you know, that just, you know, this is a conversation that scares me. That's fair. I, I will say, here's the thing that scares me a little more about VCU versus Oregon. Again, counting our chickens. But when I was looking at these teams, there was kind of discussion about Oregon got Will Richardson back and they've been a completely different team. Well, they've been still a top 50 team and they don't have anyone over six, seven and Iowa should be able to beat a team like that. When I was looking at VCU and I know this is like taking, I don't know what this bias is. It's probably got a name, but looking at what VCU did to Purdue back in like 2012 or 2011, I think it was Purdue had a really good team. Um, and got boat raced by VCU. And I was like, well, maybe the press happened and Purdue was not well prepared for it. They were prone to turnovers, yada, yada, yada. I went back and looked at Purdue's Ken Palm resume, and they were fifth in the country in turnover percentage. So that has my antennas up a little bit. Um, in terms of style of play. But I also think Iowa's well-suited for this. Purdue, notoriously, that's the one thing that Matt Painter can't figure out and really hasn't figured out is how to break a press consistently. And I think Iowa's, you know, they, they have two ball handlers most of the time. I know you're throwing shade at Connor McCaffrey a little earlier, but that's the value that he has is Iowa can go back and forth with Bohannon and Connor McCaffrey um, breaking the press, and either one can start the offense. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I just like being shady. I, I think Connor does all the quiet things that go unrecognized in the bot. Like <laughs> for this team, is really important, and you know, I just wish I could see Pat Ceiling more often. That's all. Yeah, I mean, the thing about, because let's talk about Pat Ceiling, because when it shows, like, the only guy who comes close to it is Keegan Murray in terms of the ceiling on their game. Yeah. Unless you're counting, like, when Luca Garza or, or Jordan Bohannon get <laughs> or, hot or any of our other or any, anyone else, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, from, <laughs> from a pure athletic standpoint, no one can match Pat's ability to do jumping things except for Keegan Murray I think and you see that what maybe once every couple of games the thing that no, I was him watching... and Joe Toussaint when the first time there's something together they always have a play <laughs> up under the rim that needs to be that needs to be run you know I'm like I'm right they always have a play that Toussaint dishes it to Pat and he just slams it in for a dunk or an easy layup and they need to run that play four times a game I wish they could that because like Pat Pat's the classic I think I, I don't want to mentally it seems like he is in and out sometimes. And I think if he mm-hmm. locked in, in a way that Connor does, there is no ceiling to the kid because I think he, he has maybe the number three passing mind on this team in terms of, I'd say Connor and then Tucson and then Patrick, some of the passes he's willing to make, I think go unrecognized because they're not that often. So he played well, I think in the tournament games in Indianapolis and it it just speaks to kind of the, the weapons that Iowa has that, 
you know, your seventh and eighth guys can have an impact in a way that Toussaint and Patrick do. And even you look further down, and I think Tony Perkins is someone that he he looks increasingly ready for the moment that mm-hmm. is exciting because he, he's he's the real deal um, athletically, and he's got a jumper. He hasn't shown much of it yet, um, and why would you? Uh, but I'm 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 optimistic about Iowa's chances here, and everyone should be. Iowa's a two seed. Now have your fears when you have your fears, but this is this is why they had the best re- regular season of the last thirty five years is to be a two seed and to have the path that they have. I think Tony Perkins is the type of guy we're going to see a lot more of next year. We're going to be mad that we saw so little of him this year, but like again, I was a two seed. What do you, what do you want to do? <laughs> that that's a, a funny way to put it. Um, so I think that kind of wraps up our bracket talk. Well, I'm sure we'll have more um, as we look ahead to when we think we'll probably podcast um, after Iowa games this weekend. Yeah. I mean, so we got Saturday and then if Iowa advances Monday, right? Boy, that I is probably don't know, but probably don't know the time for Monday yet. I'm sure. Yeah, that is that is one thing I want to say. Could the selection committee or whoever's in charge of running this thing have overthought it more? So what they're doing with these first two games is they're putting the team set up against each other at two different locations, and they will play at a third separate location. I don't get it. I just don't get it. I guess it might be because they're trying to get the best TV games in the right TV slots, but uh, what overthinking. I mean, everything's been overthought, like, to the point where, you know, teams don't, doesn't every team have, like, a floor to itself in a hotel, and, like, only certain staff can go to that floor and everything like that. It's just all very... I don't mind them overthinking that. Yeah, I guess, but, you know, it's just all game theory, and then, like, how the teams are getting their meals, I don't, you know, it's just a whole thing. It seems kind of, you know, a little arbitrary, different rules for different teams. Well, it's, I, I guess. Here, here's why they do that, Ben. It's because they don't want a situation to happen like what happened with six of our finest referees in the nation. Did you well, see so this? I, yeah, I saw the six refs. Were, were any of them Big Ten refs? Not that I could tell. Damn. But, I mean, Teddy Valentine was involved. Well, so it's like one was exposed, and then – or one was – one has a positive – test and then the mm-hmm. other five or six were exposed right what, what else did it what else is to the story besides that just that they were idiots they where, where'd they get it i mean one of them probably came in with it and because of the the test they they went to like i'm not harry and izzy's or something like that some steakhouse i mean the exact type of place you would expect six referees in coming into town for a three week Workcation. Oh, they were exposed it's, while to dinner, not like while yes. not while officiating the game. Oh, that's fucking stupid. Yes, and that okay. th- that was the tweet I had. I'm like, man, some, some refs want us to give them the benefit of the doubt, but when they do stupid things like this, it makes it impossible to do so. Well, that's an, that's frustrating now because that means a Big Ten crew is probably going to get called up and take their job. God damn it! 
that's a great point because what I was seeing, right, is the numbers are normally a hundred refs that they have. The Big Ten had twelve refs in their pool or whatever that they cleared to officiate the games. So presumably you have twelve out of now fifty-four referees are the Big Ten crews we've grown accustomed to. Now I, I hope to God that just you don't see three of these guys refing games at a time. Like that would be unfortunate unless it was Boborowski at a Wisconsin game. I would delight over that. But hopefully they mix and match in a way that doesn't put like all Big Ten crews in some of these games and turn them into absolute nightmares. Oh, I kind of assumed they did. You know, they kept the crews together, but, you know, having them, you know, have a disgusting diaspora of different types of referees, I guess that makes more sense. So there's that. Do we want a top shot update? Of course. Alrighty. So (laughs) you're so ready. Well, I I was just thinking about it now. So as the folks know, um, I bought a pre-order two weeks ago. It came this weekend and Bamai Adebayo saved the pack. Um, I got like a Devontae Graham one and uh, another one, but Bamai Adebayo's dunk, that that makes it valuable. Uh, $9 well spent. I think the Bamai Adebayo one is, according to this third-party website, more than $9. So that is the Top Shot update. No, no concerns. I really haven't gone in the marketplace much. I haven't, I've been focused on, on college basketball and, uh, so top shots taking a little bit of a backseat. So that, that is that. All right. I mean, I look forward to, look forward to the next update, I guess. Can, can you like buy top shot now if you wanted? Is the site still down? Oh, so I, they have done a better job with, um, with, the site being up and down. I mean, it's still like really thick. They're doing this thing where you can only like post one for sale every 10 minutes or buy one every 90 minutes. They're regulating it to hell. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I think that's probably for the better. And the bubble still existed two or three weeks ago. No, nothing has topped the amount of movement that happened that day. Um, as everyone kind of bought into the system and, and bought things up to like 10 X the next yeah. highest day. So makes sense. So uh, I think that'll do it, Ben, uh, until, until we meet again, hopefully, hopefully uh, after the Iowa game, but um, hopefully it's a win. And I think we we've used the appropriate ifs and not wins. Um, mm-hmm. So as to not jinx it, um, but yeah, I think I think until we meet again, Mr. Ross, uh, any parting shots? Can't wait. Uh, no, I don't think so. It'll be interesting to see. You know, I'm looking at these, you know, coaching hires, uh, and then the transfer market for Fran too. It's all I can really think about right now. So, so is let let's talk about this for uh, four minutes. Okay. Are there? three particular players that you have your sights set on as potential Iowa Hawkeyes? Uh, I mean, Liam Robbins and Xavier Foster. The only, I mean, the obvious two. I don't think there's a third. 
I would throw Trace Jackson Davis as the distant third. Okay. But to but to me, if Iowa can get Liam Robbins, I mean, he hasn't made any intentions known, but his uncle was on the staff and took him to Minnesota. So he's an, Iowa, he's an Iowa kid. Yeah, and he's a Big Ten center. So I, yeah, he was I, incredible in the game where they beat Iowa. And, and um, I think the thing about him that makes that I love about him is he's Adam Woodbury with a more varied offensive game and longer arms like that. The kid can block some shots. So mm-hmm. uh, that that'll be, I mean, that won't be anything until it's whatever it is, but I, I, you're right. That's the one person I have my ears most pricked on. Yeah. And I, I mean, Xavier Foster too, I know it was hurt basically all year. Right. But like, I still go back to that quote where he said, you know, he grew up an Iowa fan and his whole family were Iowa fans. Like, still has a chance to get off the the ship, the, you know, mice get off the sinking ship first. So, <laughs> he's got a I, That one might be sunk. It might be, be yeah, coming back a pretty, up. Pretty tough uh, analogy, but, you know. Uh, the point was made. The point yeah. was made. I'll be curious to see what happens with Iowa State. The guy I like, ironically, like is the Abilene Christian dude who has coached them for every year. They've been uh, brought into Division One, and oh, really? Yeah, I, I'm. That's a team I'm low key pulling for to beat Texas, and then I can tweet, um, "Hey, look who beat Texas more than Iowa State. Maybe Iowa State State should hire him." So is that that'll is be- that already is that already drafted? No, but okay. I'm. I have to more finely tune it in my head. Yeah, let me know if you need a copywriter. I will. I will. So for Ben Ross, I'm Harrison Starr. Go Hawks. Uh, Grand Franian. <laughs>